Amen. We're going to venture into Leviticus 13 tonight. I do read ahead, but then when I go to start studying, I get overwhelmed. <laughs> 59 verses. We just had 8 in verse 12, and now there's 59 verses on leprosy. Um, however, what I'm going to do is the first eight verses I'll look at a little more in depth, first points long, and then the next nine, or we're just going to sum up those sections real quickly. But when we got into Leviticus 11, and basically 11 through 15, before you get to the Day of Atonement, there are these laws of purity. And he is showing, God is showing man that left to himself he is unclean. He shows them over and over how animals and different things would cause a person to be unclean. And he really, through the law, showing man his depravity and how, how wicked he can be. If left to himself. And God is using everyday experiences. We saw that uh, two weeks ago as these animals, as they walked out of their tent, they would see clean animals and unclean animals. They did not have a Bible yet. So God put these very physical things in front of them to display the difference between himself and them. And we see that in leprosy. As difficult as this passage is, and, it, and I imagine it may turn your stomach a bit as we go through it. It did mine. It is so that we understand the gra- gravity and the magnitude of sin. How deadly, deforming, and disgusting our sin is. When we study this, we begin to realize that it didn't take long for even the nation of Israel to begin to really reject uh, those who were deformed or had leprosy or anything because to them that was wrong. Those people were being punished by God. They must have done something wrong and they really pushed them away. And so Jesus battles over and over in different places with the Pharisees over tradition versus truth and, and they think tradition rules and Jesus says no truth is what sets you free and then he shows them that their sin is coming from their inner person. Mark chapter 7, he's walked with his disciples, and the disciples picked some grain and ate the grain, and of course there's the Pharisees. Oh, they didn't wash their hands. Not even a command, right? Just a tradition that they had made up. I think it's good to wash your hands. But... And so Jesus launches in on them. He's tired of their traditions that they're making out to be truth. And he says to them in Mark chapter 7, verse 20, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, weaknesses, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. (laughs) All these things proceed from within and defile the man. And so they had got it wrong, right? They worked on the outside, And God was concerned with the inside, and boy, does he give them the woes in Matthew 23. Woe, who cleans the outside of the cup, and the inside is filled, whitewashed tombs with dead bones within them. He's constantly teaching that the core of man is wicked, so that we run to a Savior, we run to the one who can make us clean. He constantly picks these physical examples to put in front of them, and If there's anything I've learned this week studying this is, wow, did he pick an amazing example. And this lesson of of leprosy 
was and is a graphic display of just heinous and grotesque nature of sin. See, leprosy was a disease that really began silent, really undetectable within your body. But it eventually surfaced in the most smallest, teeniest ways. And soon it ate away the flesh of a person. And often it left the victims dismembered, disfigured, and disgraced in the society that they loved. In the end, leprosy was just a death sentence. So God, is what he's going to do is he's going to put on display that the wages of sin is death, using leprosy to show a need for God to make you clean. And the only hope for a leopard in the ancient world was a miracle. Because it was a death sentence. It was a death sentence in so many ways. But that's what salvation is. Isn't salvation a miracle? And we have all experienced that, those of us that know Christ. So most people die in their sins, and yet God is gracious, and he makes those that he desires through his ways, not ours, and we don't fully understand his sovereign purposes and plans, but he makes people clean. And I'm very grateful for that. And I trust you are too. And he does not give us what's due, the due penalty that we deserve Well, today's really a reminder of how bad things were and how he rescues. I'm going to read just the first eight verses, the first point, the first eight verses, spend most of my time here to help you understand, and then just give you glimpses of, break this into nine more sections just quickly and explain without reading this. It's very repetitious um, because it goes back over and over how this priest slash physician must determine whether this is leprosy. Follow on chapter 13, verse 1 through 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling or a scab or a bright spot, and it becomes infection of leprosy on the skin and on his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of the sons of the priest. The priest shall look at the mark on the skin of the body And if the hair and the infection has turned white, and if the infection appears to be deeper than the skin on his body, it is an infection of leprosy. And when the priest has looked at him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the bright spot is white on on the skin of his body, and it does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and the hair on it has not turned white, then the priest shall isolate him who has the infection for seven days. The priest shall look at him on the seventh day, and if it... In his eyes, the infection has not changed, and the infection has not spread on the skin. Then the priest shall isolate him for seven more days. The priest shall look at him again after the seventh day, and if the infection has faded, and the mark has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall announce him clean. It is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab spreads further on the skin, after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing... He shall appear again to the priest, and the priest shall look, and if the scab has spread on the skins, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. Our first thought here is the priest's instruction for examination of leprosy. My points are very simple, just kind of breaking down this long passage here. 
The first there in verse 1, I don't want you to miss now that God is speaking to both Moses and Aaron. This is only the second time he said that. Starting in chapter 11, God spoke to Moses and Aaron. And this is important because Aaron is now playing a significant role. He is now the picture of the high priest. He is now a type of something greater that's going to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's important here that you see that as God is speaking to both of these leaders. But as God's instructions move um, the nation closer to the Day of Atonement in Acts 16, God is using clear teachings of disease and deformity to help them understand why they need the Day of Atonement. (laughs) Why the Day of Atonement is so important. And through this illustration of leprosy, God desires his nation to grasp the depth of sin. And, And I hope we do today. I hope we come out of this and say, oh God, there is a disgusting nature to my sin. And it has, listen to this, it has a penetrating deadliness. I think that's what God wants them to know. Well, a little bit of history in the ancient world, leprosy was a disease which no man could heal. Um, Today, leprosy is often called Hansen's disease and it is a long-term affection of a bacteria that gets in and grows. But even today, the infection can lead to the damages of nerves and respiratory tracts and skin and eyes, and the disease works its way down all the way to the nerve. And often it results in a lack of ability to feel pain and, and often led to the loss of a person's body, body parts because repeated injuries and infections. Leprosy... Symptoms may begin from anywhere from one year up to 20 years before they actually, um, actually are cured. Or, or even sometimes, what I read was, they can, it can live within you for years before it actually shows itself. Today, leprosy is curable. But that's not the way it was at this point. But it does take up to at least, what I read, at least a year to treat it, to have it beat even in this modern world of medicine today. The latest statistic that I could find was 2018, where there were still over known cases that they were treating at at this time in the world, 200,000 cases of leprosy globally. And that's the cases that were reported and were being treated. So it's still very prevalent. Most of this is in third world countries. And, And they still referred to it as walking dead in so many ways. So when you think about Jesus, when we get into the New Testament, we're going to do that more next week, but when you get into the New Testament and you see with Jesus with these leopards, you begin to realize that he has this divine power to heal a leopard was equal to raising the dead because these were dead people walking in a sense in the ancient world. There was no recovery from it outside of something miraculous. And to think about where you turn this pale, repugnant, decaying leopard back into beautiful skin, like a childlike type skin, would be nothing short of a creator's work. And it makes us marvel at what Jesus did, not once or twice, but several times we see him interact with leopards and uh, uh, leopard people, and, and maybe in some cases, 10 of them, as you remember. So leprosy was, was not the most painful disease from what I read. But it kept the person agitated in discomfort. 
It, it grew worse over time. And I think that's the way sin is. Sin's a great agitator, isn't it, to a Christian? It often lies deep within us, and it, it wants to come out, and it, it agitates us because we don't deal with it, and so it's there, and it's constantly agitating a Christian. You know this is not of God, and it, there's an agitating to it. I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus, I mean, God picks this particular disease to teach this lesson. Leprosy is destructive and often unseen. In, in many cases, it's often unfelt until millions of cells have been destroyed. See, see sin eats away. It eats away. That's the way sin works. It eats away at eternal joy and eternal beauty that God gives us as, as those who are image bearers of God. While everything looks fine on the outside, sin just eats you away. Confess your sins. That's what the Bible says. Because he's faithful and just to forgive it. But when we don't, it eats away at everything. And, and as we know, this type of sin ruins everything. Marriages and homes and all kinds of things. Well, I think some other reasons leprosy is chosen here to illustrate. There was a lot of other things people died of in the ancient world. But, but I think the main fact is that it goes untreated. I think God chose us that it, that it will decay down to the bone. It will decay down to leave a person as a shell of who they were. I think just like that, sin defaces the whole image-bearing person that God wants us to be, right? We're supposed to be growing, present continually tense in the image of Jesus Christ. Satan loves to introduce sin. He introduced it in the garden because he knows it would deface the, the image bearers of what God really wanted. And so leprosy did that. Out of all the diseases that came from the fall of man, God chose this type of disease to illustrate sin. The study of leprosy in these chapters here, particularly 13 and 14, was chosen by God. He wants us to see the physical features that sin causes in this text and in our understanding of leprosy to help us understand the gravity of sin. This was constantly around them. As I studied this, almost every civilization in the ancient world had leprosy colonies of people. And so almost every town that the ancient world went in, outside of that town, there were those who were leper. And they were gathered with other lepers. Notice in verse 2, the following and following there, the details that detect the slightest indication. Marks on a skin, hair that turns white, a bright spot. There's a serious examination of the body was required to detect this disease. And I, and I think God is serious that there is a serious examination. There's a serious examination that goes all the way down to our hearts. The Bible talks about this all through the Scripture. Psalm 26, 2. Examine me, O Lord, the psalmist cries out. Try me and test my mind and my heart. Examine me. One of the things I learned from this is, man, they are looking at this individual from head to toe, examining every aspect of them. 
One author I read said that the spots of early leprosy were so small that they looked like a prick of a pin. And so it is with sin. It doesn't get addressed at the heart, right? It often starts with just this small blemish in our life. And it grows into death. See, that's the danger of sin, right? In the ancient days, lepers were often would carry their disease for years. Some of the cases I read, they lived for 20, 30, and some lived for 50 years with it. And by the time they discovered it, it was passed on to their children, and they said, so many families were lepers of lepers. Because it didn't get us dressed, they didn't catch it early, and they were around their family, they got passed in the next generation, and so forth. And I go, wow, there's a picture of depravity. Let's just pass on this sinful life. That's the nature of depravity. That's the nature of our fallen flesh, isn't it? We give birth to sinners. Notice in verse 3, it was the job of this priest slash physician of Israel. I mean, if you're born a Levite, you better have a stomach. <laughs> because you're not only doing sacrifices. Of course, there were divisions of Levites going on. But, but can you imagine the amount of sacrifices that are going on in the nation of Israel, particularly around the times of festivals? And then all of this is going on. There's a whole medical program going on. You better have a stomach. And this is the job of these priests here of Israel to examine these potential diseased areas on the bodies of these Israelites, person after person. And the priests were sort of this public health officers in a sense. And God was giving them instructions how they could diagnose a disease from a carefully defined criteria from God's word, not from just suspicion or guessing. God's giving them what they need. Michael Harrison, the Puritan, writing in this passage, said the Hebrew priests slash physicians appeared to have been the first in the ancient world to isolate persons subjected to infections or contagious diseases. G. Campbell Morgan said, the law provided that there should be most careful distinction between made between actual leprosy and that which may appear to be leprosy. And when the case was clearly defined, uh, when, the case, when the case was a clearly defined one, the method was drastic and extreme. Though the priest erred on the side of caution, if that person could not be pronounced clean with certainty, they were quarantined until they could be pronounced clean. That that was quite interesting. Take the sick and quarantine them. Let the other people keep working. I'm not sure how we missed that one in the last couple of years. But in all of this, Aaron's in the middle of this, right? He's now Dr. Aaron. And all of his sons are being trained from this passage, from the word of God here of how to deal with this. But they are just looking, they're just a type of a greater high priest who has rightly discerned the sins of his people and knows how to treat them perfectly. I find great comfort in that. In fact, the great high priest is able to detect the beginning of your sin. And his spirit 
pricks our hearts. Psalms 139 says, before even a word is on our tongue, behold, Lord, you know it. Hebrews chapter 4, 12 and 13 says he's able to judge, listen to this, the thoughts and the intention of our hearts. Not just the words, but able to judge the thoughts and the intention. So he is able to look so clearly. And, and Aaron is this type of, of, a, of a Christ that's going to come who knows our sin. Our God and Savior, had, he has the right to pronounce us unclean. You know that? Boy, I thought about that. I thought the Lord has the right, and he did so because I was born unclean. I was born a sinner. And he has the right to do that. But he also has the right to make his children clean, and he does that, isn't he, in salvation for us. But what's interesting here is you look at this, because remember, this is looking forward. The Israelites were completely in the hands of the priest who alone, listen to this, who alone could declare them clean or unclean. There was no provision really for them to fight the diagnosis. They could go for seven days, be quarantined, but then they would come back and, and be checked again to see if it had lessened or grown or grew or whatever. But it was complete dependency upon the priest to pronounce whether they were clean or unclean. And that's us, right? But I think that's what happens when people don't want to deal with sin, and unfortunately the church today doesn't preach on sin, so people just think, well, God just accepts me the way I am. So if I want to be this way or that way or whatever I feel like, I'll be that way and God will just accept me. Well, it's not true. He's pronounced all men sinners. All of mankind is sinners. And we need the high priest to declare us clean. Notice in verses 4 through 8, if you just skim down through that, the, the leprosy appeared on a person's skin in just a small red spot. But not long after that, the spot gets bigger and then turns white. And then it has a scaly appearance to it. And that's when the isolation begins. You detect if somebody's sick, isolate yourself. When you say it at the office, if you're sick, stay home. Right? And then that person comes back and it's checked. But soon, soon that spot would spread to the entire body and the hair would begin to fall out. Further studies said, particularly in the ancient world, that the hair was first to leave the head and then the eyebrows. And as it got worse, this disease that ate them from the inside out their fingernails and toenails would become loose and eventually fall off, followed by joints and fingers and toes experiencing great nerve damage that often became infected because of loss of feeling. Next were the gums of the mouth that would begin to shrink back and teeth would fall out and as leprosy continued to eat away at the face and the nose of its victims until death. J. Campbell Morgan writing his commentary in 1926. We've come a long ways with leprosy since 1926, from what I understand now. Said this, even until today, leprosy is so dire a disease that it completely baffles the skilled physicians. Much may be done to alleviate the distress which is caused, but there is no cure for it. In countries where sanitary laws obtain it is almost eliminated, but that is done by removing the cause, not by curing those suffering from it. 
He goes on to say, leprosy was indeed nothing short of living death, a poisoning of the spring, a corrupting of all the humors of life, the disillusions of little by little of the whole body, so that one limb after another would actually decay and fall off. And back when he wrote his commentary, now we've, we've advanced so much in medicine to be able to handle this. But it's graphic, isn't it? <laughs> it's a graphic picture. And I think somewhere along the line, what's happened, and it happens throughout Christianity, and we see this church go through struggles, is they forget how graphic sin is, how heinous it is, because the church decides that teaching on sin is not popular. Many of the ancient rabbinical teachers considered a leopard leopard as just already dead. Um, Leprosy, though, like sin, begins something humanly undetectable, right? So, I, I mean, it's hard when you study this because you think of your own life. You begin to look and you say, well, where's that little root of bitterness? Where did I get my pride stepped on today? See, it's unseen in there, and we put on this great facade out here, but like leprosy, sin has this, this undetectableness to it. And like leprosy, sin is often painless in the beginning, right? We choose to engage in something that's godless, and, and it, it may bring some kind of arousal to you or something, some kind of desire to you. It seems painless, but like leprosy, sin often grows slowly, if not confessed and repented of. Like leprosy, sin will go into remission at times for a while, but it'll come back even stronger. And like leprosy, sin will dull your senses. One of the biggest issues that I read on was that it got to the nerves, and so they would burn themselves and cut themselves on accident because they couldn't feel anything, and that's what would be infected, and then the limbs would fall off. And what a teaching of sin. It will dull your senses if you stay engaged in it. And then you almost become unteachable. Like leprosy, sin will cause spiritual decay and deformity You'll disfigure the image that God wanted us to have. And like leprosy, sin will eventually destroy both the inward and outward person. You say, well, Scott, this is all Old Testament stuff. Let me read you a New Testament passage and see if this is any better for you. We were also once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Sounds like leprosy. Sounds like spiritual leprosy. See, that's what we used to be, Paul says. Spurgeon, writing on this passage, said this, Every man by nature is like a leper, loathsome in his person, infected in all of his actions and in all that he does. He is incapable of fellowship with God's people. He is shut out utterly and entirely by his sin from the presence and acceptance of God. I think what he did is he just took Leviticus 13 and wrote it in a spiritual form, and that's really what I've been doing tonight. Because when that leopard got to that point where he was unclean, he was put out. He was not to be in fellowship with anyone. 
Well, let me go through the summary of the rest of this and just give you application as we go along here, verses 9 through 11, number 2, an exact diagnosis in the beginning of quarantine. This section here, verses 9 through 11, as you just peek at your Bibles and go down through this, this section shows a very specific, specific um, rules for making an exact diagnosis of leprosy here. And there's a, there's a seriousness to this diagnostic process in the Bible. It's, it helps us understand the depth of which we should examine our own hearts and minds in the beginning stage of sin, right? When you, when you sense that godlessness that's wrought to take root in your life, there's, a, there's an examination here, and you see that in these verses, how in-depth this is. If indeed the person is diagnosed in these verses here with leprosy, they no longer um, are in isolation under supervision of the priest, but they are to live on their own, excluded from the community of Israel. So sin just takes you away from the family. That's what it'll do. How often have we seen that in our own families where a family member decides to say, I reject the things of God, and it brings this great barrier between the people who love Christ. That's what it does. If the discovery was not leprosy, though, you can see this in these verses, there was given a period of separation. This is a quarantine before being restored to the community. They want to make sure there's times where we even get away. God, search me, David says. See if there's anything wicked of me. I mean, there's times we had to do that. But if indeed it was leprosy, listen, the only thing they could do, the only thing that could be done was separate the infected sufferer completely away from others. That's what the Bible says. It's really hell on earth. It's really hell on earth is what they experience. And this is where we've got these leper colonies that are all over, and we see them in, along the tribes of Israel. One of the, my, my favorite passages that kind of deals with a few of these guys with leprosy is 2 Kings chapter 7. You remember this passage. Uh, Elisha is in Samaria, and the Syrian armies are outside the gates, and they're ready to take the cities there, and they're, they're way more than they can handle, and God, in his infinite grace to the northern tribes that didn't deserve it, um, creates sound of hoofs of horses, and, and the Syrians panicked and fleed, and they left everything. Well, a couple of those lepers that were out there, you know, they venture out and they said, well, we're going to die. Let's go die and see if they'll give us some food. <laughs> and they go there and, of course, the tents are empty and they take all the food and gold and silver and they go hide it and they come back and they do that again. And then the third time they come back, they go, yeah, we probably shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> we should go tell somebody. And Elisha had promised that the next day that bread would be cheap and so forth. And, and it's just interesting. There was the only one there that gets to see what God did firsthand were these men that were separated because of the disease they had. So we see that throughout the scriptures. Verses 12 through 17, number three, we see a full examination of the body to determine clean or unclean. At first, these verses seem a little bit confusing, right, when you look at them because of the outbreak over the entire body. And you think, well, oh, this guy's hosed, right? And yet, one could be still called clean. And you notice here that it comes back to, by this, back to this deep investigation by this priest physician to, to determine whether the disease was, living, uh, was leaving the body, right? And, and this passage shows that it could be leaving, which would 
be understood by the scaly deposit on their skin, right? So he says it's a really detailed to check the skin. If it's a scale deposit, hey, this is leaving him. This guy's going to be clean soon. But then he goes on to say if the disease was still internal, if the flesh was raw with no scales or scabs on it, the disease was still deep in the body, then really this was a death sentence. Either sin is confessed or it's or repented of and repented of, or if not, it just remains there. And it starts its destructive behavior. For examining the resulting boils or ulcers, they would call these from the disease, verses 18 through 23. Notices, I give you some thoughts on this. Um, the disease was, it would create these boil like things on them. The Hebrew word, we, we get an ulcer, open, kind of open wound ulcer from it. And that could become infected. So they were to look at each one of these ulcers, these boils, and examine all of them to see if the skin around it was corrupted in any way. And, and I think what, I think the application as I thought through this is that Israel was taught to watch against new outbreak of sin. Right? They had, they had a really bad outbreak of sin at the foot of Mount Sinai. They worshipped the golden bull calf. And so this person has, seems to be coming out of some kind of disease-skinned area, and, but it has to be examined so that it doesn't go back to it. And so God's desire here is to teach his people that his gracious reconciliation with them should be a motivation from further sin, right? And he reminds the nation that there was... There was consequences of past sin, and they, and they often leave evidence in your life. And so they were to examine these things, see if <clears throat> the scales had come over, if this was something past and wasn't coming back. If the evidence showed that there was disease below the skin, they were deemed unclean. However, if the disease was not spreading and the scars were there, they were deemed clean. And listen, brothers and sisters, probably all of us <coughs> have some level of scars from sin in our life. What are you going to do with those scars? Are you going to give God praise for them? Or are you going to let them come back and hurt you again? <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. <coughs> Examining the hot spots of disease, number five, on the disease, 24 through 28. Again, here the examination process of these, what they call burn spots. And they might have been spots where they burned themselves where infection can lie in. And because the leper so often lost feelings, his nerves would be damaged and they would get these burns and cuts. And so this priest here now was to be given these details and instructions of how to examine such runes. Andrew Bonar, the Scottish preacher in the 1800s said this in his commentary, that even during times of intense suffering, there's a, tense, uh, there's a tendency for sin. And he, he goes into it. I thought it was interesting in his commentary. What he did is he took this aspect of, of these effects of the disease, which were these burn spots that might have been there. And he wrote extensively on how often Christians will fall into sin while they're suffering. Man, I thought about that. Sometimes we go through, through suffering and we add, we add great problems because during that suffering, our discontentment 
or our frustration that God has allowed us to go through this again creates more sin that begins to surface in us. And so the priest was to be vigilant as he looks here to see if these things were infected. And I think we should be vigilant to look internally to make sure that we don't worsen our suffering. I've seen this too often when somebody goes through a difficulty, God allows something into their life, and instead of running to Him, they run to all kinds of godless things, and they create so many problems in their life. It's easy to do because it's easy to say, oh, poor me. But in the end, that person just decays away. Look, our scars do not have to lead to infection anymore. It should be a testimony to the graciousness of God. There's people in this room right now that have some scars from past life. And they have shared their testimony with me. And one of the things I love about their testimonies is they tell me it is those scars, it is, it is that godlessness that God forgave me of and healed me from that remind me of His grace daily. Oh, let, let our sinful, forgiven, or forgiven sinfulness drive us on to more holiness. Six, examine the infection hidden in the hair, verses 29 through 37. Again, somewhat repetitive as they start looking at every part of the body here, but leprosy might begin in places that are not so obvious, right? Like in the hair of the head or of a beard of a man here. You can see that in this text. And again, they were looking closely to see if there was infection below the skin. And sin often originates in places that are overlooked in our life. Oh, we've been married for years. That's, we, don't, we don't have those problems. Ew. Be careful. Oh, I, I don't have a problem with this or that. There's places that are hidden. And so here the priests were to look through the hair of a woman, the, the beard of a man. And these places were places of honor, right? The hair of a woman, particularly in the Bible in the ancient world, was an honor to her. It was her covering. The beard was something men were proud of, right? So there is places where pride could dwell, hidden in form there. And it just takes one discolored hair to show that pride was there. And that's, you see, in verses 29 through 37, they go through, and here's this one hair that's discolored, and it points to an infection in there. This stuff's really hard to study. Because you look at it and you go, where's that one hair in my life that I don't want to deal with? It ends up being deadly. See, we continue to see the character of God up against the character of man when we look at this stuff. And how holy of a God that even at the first rising of evil within us, he wants it detected. Isn't that interesting? He's got these priests combing through the heads of these people and through the beards of these people to see the first sign, one pinhole or one change of a hair cover. Right then he wants it detected. How holy is a God that wants sin detected that quickly? Isn't that amazing? How loving, though, is a God who tenderly provides for the victims of sin a way out of it? But then how just is he, right? You see this character of God all through this. How just is he when sin is not dealt with his way? He brings justice. He doesn't dismiss 
oh, we'll just let them get away with that. God is a just, loving, holy God. This reflects his character, doesn't it? So these verses remind us that the examination is never allowed to go into the hands of anyone else but the priest who has the power to declare someone clean or unclean. However, that priest can only make his pronouncement based on God's specific commands, not on anything else. And so the true power was not in the priest's judgment, but in the perfect instructions of God's word. And brothers and sisters, you and I have the perfect God's word to examine to the deepest part of us to say, oh, Scott, that's not of me. And are we willing to submit to that perfect word? Seven, there's an examination Examining bright spots to rule out disease, 38 and 39 here. And so this priest, and I put in my notes, slash dermatologist, was to look at these suspicious bright spots. No matter how small, I've I'm, I'm, got that Portuguese blood in me, so I tan real easy. And I go to the dermatologist, you know, every decade. Gina's there twice a year. It's just the way her skin is, so she's got to go be checked. And, and they comb over her, and they're looking at all that. And, and that's the way you kind of see what's going on here. And doubtlessly, there were forms of skin cancer even in these ancient times, and they were probably grouped into some kind of leprosy category. Um, but I believe what the Lord is showing here is how careful to regard not to pronounce somebody unclean who was not. And so this is a passage that says, don't pronounce somebody unclean who has not. Be very careful, be very detailed here. And that's where God's word gives us instructions of what is sin and what is not. And so we must be careful that we do not create a sinful criteria that God's word does not support. That's legalism, right? So if we run around and say, oh, Christians should do X, Y, and Z, that is not supported in the scriptures, we create this. And we did this for years in the churches right? We take verses and we apply them into our culture and say, well, this is culturally wrong. And so we, we made decisions and that really were not supported of the Bible. And so many people were raised in the church and said they never saw Jesus because there was so much legalism. And so I think what God's doing here is don't create, in this particular t- passage, he's, don't create something that's not there. And so they were to be careful. They were to be careful with that. Eight, examine the loss of hair in the over uh, or indwelling disease. Verses 40 through 44 here. Well, I think there's some good news for the follically challenged in this room. And from my view, there's quite a few of you. I'm not looking at anyone. The old shiny tops. I think certainly the loss of hair is part of the fall in some way, right? But God says it's, it's not a result of a disease here. And he wants to even clarify that. Isn't that interesting? He would take time to make the difference between a disease that makes your hair fall out and someone who has a parent that had a bad hair genetics and you ended up with it. Because if you, I mean, if it did, I, I, he's so detailed here. So, so the follically challenge here, I think this is good, right? You don't have to be scared. You just have bad genes or good genes. I don't know. Hair's a pain some days. But again, hair on the head was a sign of honor and, and a covering, right? But baldness became something that the Jews looked down on because of this thing, because people's hairs fell out, and then they said they're unclean, and then they'd say, oh, they're getting what God des- they deserve, God's punishment. So baldness was looked down in the ancient world. <laughs> you remember when Elijah, Elisha, 
starts, just starts his ministry. Elijah has passed away or been taken up, and, he, and he's got the mantle, and he takes off, and it isn't long before he ends up in Jericho, and there's a bad spring there, and they can't drink the water, and so he gets a, a clean jar and puts salt in it and throws it in there to get clean water, and he leaves there, and he's headed his way to Bethel. Well, 40-some-odd kids come out and start teasing him about that he's bald. Do you remember this passage? 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23 and 24 some young lads came up from the city, mocked him, and said to him, Go up, Baldy, go up, Baldy. <laughs> he turned around and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and tore 42 lads up. This is in the Bible. You guys should read this. It's really good. When you look at God judging the nation of Israel, and they go off to judgment, particularly Ezekiel and Jeremiah deal with this, and they use this word over and over. It says that they will gird themselves up in sackcloth. Shuddering, uh, shuddering uh, will overwhelm them. Shame will be on their faces and baldness on their heads. The way to dishonor somebody was to shave their head, men and women. Isn't that interesting? The Nazis did that. They said, oh, it was disease in the hair and stuff like that. It's a dishonoring. And so God wanted to make sure that a person, a man or woman who had lost her hair just because of genetic problems was not considered unclean. He was kind here. And it's it just such a thoroughness of God's instruction in this, in this passage to these priests here as they investigate every part of a person. And it reminds us that God's eyes are looking everywhere, watching over good and evil. He's the great physician that sees all things and you can't hide anything from him. Remember, these are all types. Nine, the result of leprosy, 445 and 46. Once the priests diagnosed the individual with leprosy, it was, it was confirmed through this God-given instruction, everything changed for this leper. They lived in a perpetual state of suffering, mourning, and unfortunately, often in public disgrace. When a leper, you'll see in this passage, was approaching a clean person, they were to cry out what? Unclean, unclean. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what they went through? Hmm. Do we think that way about our sin? <laughs> yeah. So here in this passage, to help us understand that these strict instructions were given to the leper to live alone, meaning separate yourself from, from the clean people. And these colonies developed, and they were outside the walls of the city, meaning they had no protection, they had no family, they, everything was left over what they got. As strict as the Old Testament laws were, eventually the Jewish people of the New Testament, particularly its religious leaders, completely remove lepers from their society. And when we get to Jesus' day, the Jews looked at leper as a walking dead man, and they, they were receiving what they deserved, and God was punishing them. I read one account from the Jewish traditions and customs, and it said this, a leper should never be greeted. He or she shall remain six feet away from any clean person. <laughs> I, I'm quoting this, okay? I didn't make this up. In this book, one rabbi brags that he would not even buy an egg on a street where he saw a leper. 
And another boasted that he threw rocks at lepers to keep them from coming close. Other rabbis wouldn't even let them wash their face. Now certainly this was a devastating disease and it was contagious. But now, instead of it being a lesson of the wickedness of the heart of man, they were able to dismiss these people as being judged by God and not look at themselves. <laughs> but oh, not Jesus. And we're going to get into this much more next week, but not Jesus. Listen to one interaction. We'll look at these and more next week. But Matthew chapter 8, 1 through 4. Just listen because I'm out of time here. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a leper came to him, single, and bowed down before him. And said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me, now he uses the Hebrew term, clean. Jesus wasn't a priest. He wasn't even the tribe of Levi. But here this leper who had seen the depth of his deformity and what he was, and he's bowed down before the Lord. And, and here where people would throw rocks at these people and shoo them away and have nothing to do with them. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. You cough in publics, people are like going the other direction. <laughs> I mean, are you afraid? I got a cold. I'm so afraid. I'm, man, should I even go to the store? They're going to throw me out. I coughed and it's all over. I love this. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. They say the touch is one of the most healing things there is, right? Nurses that, or somebody who comes on a scene will often touch that person who is, is in shock or struggling and, and that sense of relief that comes. But think about a savior, one who can change you from unclean to clean eternally. That type of touch. And I know this is physical, but he reaches out and touches him and says, I'm willing. And then he just makes the statement, be cleansed. In verses 45 and 46, it's over for this leper. He's out. But not Jesus. See, this is, brothers and sisters, this is why we make kind of dumb sayings, but we cannot send God. So it doesn't mean we tried out sin, but there's not a sin or something you've committed in this room that Christ can't heal and forgive and restore. So you that's, how, that's why the glory of Christ comes into our lives, brothers and sisters. He takes ashes and creates beauty. This is what he does. And we must understand how, how bad the ash heap is. How internal and how deep the disease lies without the grace of God and the cleansing of the work of Jesus Christ. See, that's what makes him so glorious. We'll look at this more, but again, G. Campbell Morgan writing on this, he says, in light of these considerations, we remember that there came one in the fullness of time, one who could not only look at but touch a leper, one who could cure that's the story of the healing and dealing with sin. What a picture of salvation. 
Here the walking dead approaches Jesus, one who is excluded from all religious practices. They, they couldn't even be in there. So now how do I even get right with God? I can't even go to sacrifice. I can't even go to festivals. But Jesus, see, he, he looks at the inner person that's lost and dead and full of decay, and he loves and he gives compassion and he grants eternal healing. See, that's power. That's the power of Jesus to touch a life and change it internally. Where are you not, what are you not, and where are you not laying down before Jesus that you're struggling with? See, when we don't, we say, Jesus, I know, I, maybe you can do this, but I'm going to try to do this on my own. It's foolish, isn't it? You're just going to be out in the leper's colony. See, he takes unclean, he makes us clean. He takes rags and makes us righteous. He takes filthiness and makes it pure. He takes humiliation and makes, turns it into exaltation. He takes life, death and turns it into eternal life. And that's what a little bit is. I believe 13 is trying to show that there's going to be hope. And chapter 14 will show us that there is a sacrifice for it. The last 110 garments of the leopard were examined. 47 through 59, just quickly, the clothing was very expensive. It's costly. Clothing was traded like had value back then. Um, and in the Old Testament, mold and mildews and fungus, they were often associated with leprosy. And so they had this whole process. And they could, they could clean these garments. If they didn't clean, they were to be burned. And, and then they could cut out parts of the garment. You'll see it all in the text. And burn that part and then clean the other part. And, but if it didn't, if it still grew, they burned it all, right? And, and get rid of it. It's stained. Sin just splashes on everything. Burn it. That's what sin ultimately takes us to a hell that burns. <laughs> but God has a promise. In the next passage, he's going to show that he has a sacrifice for the leopard. And I like that. There was hope in God. And so, brothers and sisters, we have received forgiveness and we are cleansed do not allow, by the grace of God, do not allow decaying sins to remain in us. God's deemed you clean. Run to him. Father, this is a challenging text to study and preach and listen, I'm sure. The description, Lord, to us 21st citizens, 21st citizens, century citizens, it's grotesque. But I think that's what you wanted us to see. You certainly wanted the nation to see how devastating sin does. It decays, eats away, destroys. It ruins everything and eventually brings death. And so you put that in front of them and every time they left town or came back into town, there it was, a standing illustration of what God thought about sin. And Lord, we have it here in the word of God. It teaches us what you say is wrong and what is right. It's very clear, Lord, in most cases we can read the Bible and know what you call sin and what you call what is right. So, Lord, help us believe that. And, and then, Lord, let the word of God search us deep. Let it peel us back. Let it fillet us, Lord. Let it search, search even the intent of our thoughts, Lord, so that the meditation of my mouth and the, and the love and thought of my heart be like your words and your thoughts, Lord. 
Hmm. So, Lord, we need to come to you and have our feet washed, Lord. And we need checkups from time to time and let you groom your way through our life. And as you groom through, Lord, would you, like David said, see if there's anything wicked there that needs to be dealt with. So, Lord, help us in that. Father, I finish this prayer with just praying for the cars and all the children and Donna's sister, Lord. Pray you'd just comfort them, Lord. May there be a sweet mixture of godly sorrow mixed with great joy of where Sylvia's at now. We pray that you would give them rest tonight. Lord, give us rest, but help us not rest and lay back and not do things that are needing to be taken care of in our lives. May we be ones who study your word, repent, and turn from sin, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.